Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week five in the books. How you doing? Did you have fun? Did you enjoy these games? Yeah, I did. Uh, some interesting results. Yes, for sure. For sure. Some interesting results. Now, now, a few of these games panned out how I thought they would, but on the whole, some interesting results. Definitely some interesting results, and and we're getting to a point in the season we're, we're closing in on the halfway mark, and I don't mean to like deaden the mood here, bring you down, and saying that we're close to the halfway mark of the season being done. But all just to say, like we're getting some pretty good sample sizes on these teams, and getting a pretty good idea of what some of them are. There's others that are continuing to be different teams on a weekly basis, which we'll get into that here in a little while. But right, um, some of these are, are pretty pretty well-known commodities at this point. That's that's a good thing, I think, for us and for the ACC. So um, let's dive into some of these games. Uh, let's start it here, Mike. Number 24, Wake Forest, 37. Louisville, 34. Mm-hmm. This this game was fun, and it was it was back and forth. Uh, it, only once, I think, was outside of a one-score margin. So it was very back and forth the whole time. Looked like, honestly, I would say this looked like two of the best teams in the ACC right now. Yeah, it did. Now, now, this game tends to have a lot of points, right? They had the 62 to 59 game a couple seasons ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the, of course, the Wakey Leaks stuff, which is always still funny. It's still funny. Like, I'm sorry. It's still the funny. best. The, the best. best. The best, yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, look, when Louisville's offense is on, this is one of the most exciting units in the ACC. And rivaled to only really Wake Forest uh, when they're kind of clicking on all cylinders because Clemson, we'll talk about them in a bit, but they are not what they once were (laughs) on the offensive side of football. So, look, I think we're getting a larger sample size. My big takeaway here, we're getting a larger sample size of good Malik Cunningham, Mm -hmm. which is a really nice development for Louisville. Now, they didn't win the game, I get it, but that's a very positive development for Scott Satterfield the rest of the season. And Louisville is one of those teams that has flown under the radar a little bit since the opener. And we talked about that in the preview. Everybody saw them get the doors blown off of them in the first half on Labor Day night against Ole Miss. And then everybody just assumed that, all right, well, Louisville's a mess with Satterfield. He almost took another job, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but they had been consistently getting better. Mm-hmm. And I thought on Saturday they played pretty well. Now, defensively, a little bit of choose your own adventure at times. You know, a little bit of that going on. And Wake Forest is a very good and and competent offense. And Joey, we can get into the situational stuff at the end of the first half and, and things like that. Whether or not you know that cost Louisville the game. I, I mean, 
stuff that happens that early, I, I tend to just kind of brush that off a little bit. I thought Louisville had their chances and simply just didn't capitalize. I thought Wake Forest did a really nice job, of course, closing late um, and winning this football game. I thought Sam Hartman was fine. Um, he was a little inaccurate. So, I, you know, his, his numbers look his numbers look better than I thought he actually played. I, I didn't think this was Sam Hartman's best game, uh, at least throwing the football. He did have that touchdown run, which was good. Um, and he was good enough. I, I mean, I don't want to sit here and say Hartman wasn't any good. I mean, he was fine. I just thought he missed some throws that we had seen him hit over the first four weeks. Mm-hmm. And, and Wake Forest, give Louisville a little bit of credit here. I thought Wake Forest had a lot of trouble establishing the run in the game on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. And it really mm-hmm. took some big throws by Sam Hartman to, to push Wake Forest over the finish line, especially in the second half. So credit there. I mean, Jaquari Roberson had a great game. Taylor Marin had a great game. Both of them had six catches. Roberson, 135 yards. Marin, 122 yards and a touchdown. So that was, that was huge. Uh, but yeah, I mean, credit to Wake Forest. I knew this would be a really competitive game. It, it always is, you know. And uh, this played out pretty much exactly how I expected. I thought Louisville would hang in there for the entirety and it would come down to, you know, execution in the fourth quarter. And that's exactly what happened here. Yeah. I, yeah, this was, a, I mean, it was a well played game. Like you said, I mean, you got good Malik Cunningham and. The more that you get that for Louisville, like the better you're going to feel about this team because it's kind of like as as he goes is how the team goes. Um, and you see him go 19 to 26 for 309 yards, two scores, no picks, uh, and then he adds 45 yards in the run game. You know, plus some that were were taken away for sacks. Like that's, I mean, that's a good performance from him. Um, and, and I felt like the the play calling was again, it was good, it was creative. They got guys in space. Uh, used some misdirection in a lot of times. Like Louisville moved the ball really well in this game. Like they had almost seven and a half yards per play across the the course of this game, um, and, that, and that's a good thing for Louisville. And I, and I feel like the defense is coming along too. And it's 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 weird to say that after they give up 500 yards in this game, but from a yards per play standpoint, like you know this Wake Forest team, what they've been and given up, ju- you know, just a shade under six yards per play is really not bad. Um. So I, I'm impressed with what I saw from Louisville here, even in a loss. Um, so I, it's it continues to be a thing. I, I think it's worth considering again how bad their turnover luck was last year, and this right. year it is kind of starting to normalize itself. And you see yes. the level of impact that has. I agree. So, I definitely agree. Yeah. So that's good. Um, Wake Forest, on the other hand, Mike, you mentioned Sam Hartman is he's kind of just like quietly like doing his thing there. Um, he, he did have a pretty rough interception in this game, but I mean, for the most part, Sam Hartman feels like he's this guy who's not really doing like a ton, but he's doing exactly what's needed of him. He's only got two turnovers on the entire year. Um, he, he's, he's just kind of conducting the orchestra here for the Deeks and, and it's working to phenomenal effect. It is. I mean, the, the biggest thing for me, like you mentioned, is the lack of turnovers, you know, and you know, he's in his fourth year with the program now, and I think what you're seeing is an offense that, you know, with Howell now as kind of the elder statesman, it's it's a very mature-looking Wake Forest offense. Like you mentioned, Hartman is just kind of doing what he needs to do, and he's not turning the ball over, and that's the biggest thing for me. Now, the offense is so explosive, and he's capable of making big-time throws, and we've seen that. 
and he's been good. He's been good. He's been solid all year. In this particular game, I thought he missed some throws he should have made, or that he has been making in, in the first four games. You know, he finishes 23 of 40 here. He missed some open guys. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. with that being said, again, he's not turning the football over a ton. And this Wake Forest offense has playmakers everywhere. If he just puts it into their hands, his number is going to end up looking pretty good because this offense has a tendency to, you know, you can hold them down for a little while, but then they're pretty explosive. I mean, this is I, this is the best offense in the ACC, I think. Now, I, I don't know if you have any other candidates. I think Wake's offense is the best in the ACC. I mean, I'd have to think it's the most efficient, right? If nothing else, like, the, right. I mean, the, they they consistently have moved the ball against every, everybody they've played this year. And, and the thing is, too, like, you know, we can have the we can have the discussion about whether or not, you know, if there are other teams that have more talent that are firing on all cylinders more consistently, would Wake still have the best offense? I mean, I, you know, we can have that discussion all day. I mean, Clemson's got athletes everywhere. Carolina's got athletes everywhere. Wake Forest has has athletes everywhere too, and they are they are performing and executing on a more consistent level, you know, than than a lot of other teams in the conference right now. Louisville's right up there though, and they're getting there. And you know, this has been a much better year three for Scott Satterfield than year two was. I will say that at least through mm-hmm. the first five games. Yeah. No, I, I I again I have a Louisville over six and a half wins ticket and. Even only being three and two, like I, I feel okay about where that's at with the way that they've played and some of the games they've got coming up. Um, I, I, I'm okay with where that's at. Uh, I, you mentioned it earlier, Mike. It's worth bringing up here. There, there was some controversy, and, and it's like this series for some, for whatever reason, basically since the whole Wakey Leaks thing happened, this series has had like just the strangest controversies that have come up almost every year. Um, yes. This year, Mike, Wake, Wake Forest has the ball in the second quarter. Uh, first of all, they, they punt the ball with about 30 seconds left. Louisville muffs the punt, um, and Wake Forest recovers. And they now have the ball on the like the one or the two-yard line with four seconds left. And they try to punch it in, and Louisville stops them. And the whistle blows, and there's no time left on the clock. Yep. So the half's over. It's halftime, and that's it. And you lost your chance. Well, then Except. the officials go back and review and decide, no, 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 there probably should be one second left on the clock, which even if you listen to the, the, the audio track of when did the whistle blow and you know what did the, the clock say, like that doesn't make any sense, but sure. And so Wake Forest kicks a field goal and gets three points they maybe probably shouldn't have had, and now they win by three points. So Louisville fans in particular, like, pretty pretty irritated about this but i will say just you know for what it's worth if you're louisville and you're mad about this maybe don't go three and out on uh you know several drives to start the second half like mm-hmm. maybe maybe do something with those drives and uh and don't let wake kind of extend their, their lead the way that they did so it's not all the ref's fault but there is definitely uh, some shenanigans at play for sure yeah definitely no i mean not not the best call, but again, Louisville had their chances, you know? Yep. They really did. Sure did. The other thing I wanted to bring up here with with Wake, Mike, is I, I don't know if you've been keeping track, but for those uh those keeping score at home, Wake's five and zero. Uh Wake hasn't lost yet. 
And and I mentioned on the on the preview show that I'm an Atlanta sports fan. I'm a Georgia Tech sports fan. Like I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And Bubba, it dropped this weekend, and we'll get there. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it did. But I feel like that is not a uh, not a foreign feeling to Wake Forest fans. Like this is not like a a traditional powerhouse football program. Is that fair to say? I would say so. Yes. But the thing is, Mike, if you're waiting on the other shoe to drop with Wake Forest. Tell me when you think it's going to drop because their next few games at Syracuse, at Army, home against Duke, at North Carolina, home against NC State, at Clemson, at Boston College. Like they're going to get into November undefeated, I believe. I yeah, I mean I I think so. I mean, I think that opportunity for Wake Forest to be undefeated going into the NC State game is certainly on the table. Mhm. Yeah. Now I, so I I understand I mean, Wake Forest has a tough stretch, you know, in November, right? They get NC State. They get Clemson, who I would, I mean, I would take Wake Forest right now <laughs> against Clemson. I, I was just going to say, if, the, if those teams were playing next weekend and the game was a pick em, who do you want? Uh, Wake. I want Wake. <laughs> like, I want Wake. I also want the under, but I think I want Wake. Like, I just... Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want the under. Yeah. Yeah. So... If there's any defense equipped to stop Wake Forest, it's 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 Clemson, right? I mean, Clemson's defense has been very good. It's the offense is not the issue, right? You know, the offense, or I'm sorry, the defense is not the issue. The offense is definitely the issue. Yeah, Wake would be hoping yeah. to win that game like thirteen to ten or something like that. I mean, I just yeah, as well coached as as Wake Forest is, Clemson is also that well coached on defense and significantly more talented so it's that's an uphill battle but I, I mean that's that's a winnable game too for Wake Forest and that's just if, if you've ever detected any any uh level of sarcasm or anything like that in our voices when we talk about you know how good uh, Wake Forest is it's not sarcasm <laughs> like they're they're legit good like you know one of the three best teams in the ACC without a question they're legitimately good I mean I don't this isn't just like Wake Forest is good because the ACC is down. Like we've been beating this drum for a while, and mm-hmm. you know we both picked Wake Forest to go seven and five. You know when we were looking at the schedule, but there's no question that this is a good Wake Forest team, and we mentioned that this team had a ton of upside. There was no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're seeing that upside now. Yep, sure. Not. Just- just because it's a weak conference either. It's because it's been legitimately good. Like, they're maximizing the talent that they have on that roster, in my opinion. I think Clawson's done an unbelievable job. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, as always, <laughs> that man is pretty clearly one of the three or four best coaches in the in the conference, you know, regardless of any other context. Like, what he's doing at Wake Forest is, is amazing. But Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Let's keep moving here. Number 24, Wake Forest 37, Louisville 34. Uh, let's go back to Thursday night, Mike, <laughs> where – Virginia 30, Miami 28. Uh, just a really brutal, really brutal uh, uh, little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, stretch, I guess, or a sequence. There we go. A really brutal sequence for Miami at the end of this game. We'll get into the details here, but just overall, Mike, Manny Diaz is done here, right? Like They're going to fire him and move on and, and try this with somebody else, aren't they? Yeah, uh, do you think it happens by the end of the month? Of October? Yes. I think that's on the table, yeah. I do too. Yeah, I do too. Now, you know, uh, some context here, right? 
Miami was missing De'Aaron King. Tyler Van Dyke had a really rough first half. He was much better in the second half. I will say that. I, th- I thought he played much better. His statistics were better. I, you know, he got the rid of the ball more quickly. The offensive line played better. A much better second half offensively for Miami until the final drive. <laughs> until the final drive. And yeah. I just the play calling at the end there and putting it in the hands. Now, I look, let's back up a little bit. Andres Borregales was the reason, or at least one of the main reasons, why Miami beat App State in week two. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it, right? No doubt about it. His brother is the reason that FIU beat Miami a couple of years ago. <laughs> Correct. Sorry, sorry, you had to sorry. Slide I, that in. I don't mean to rub it in. I don't mean to rub it in, but. I had to slide that in. Um, <laughs> but, uh,. Yeah, I mean, I look at this, and you're you're playing for three at the end when you could have easily scored it. With the way you were moving the ball in the second half, you could have scored a touchdown there at the end. You, know, you had the ball, what was it, the 17-yard line? They had first and goal from the Virginia 14-yard line with a minute and 40 left, or a minute and 34, yes. we'll say. Yes. So, Joey, I have a question. Yes, Mike. I have a question. Uh, what are you so afraid of, Miami? What are you so afraid of? Virginia's offense, yes, they're good, but I mean, you held them to 14 second half points. They had three points in the fourth quarter. Mike, should they have been afraid of that vaunted Virginia defense? You're asking the real, now you're asking the real questions. (laughs) Why? Miami was dashing Virginia in the second half with their offense, They're, they're running up and down the field. Van Dyke, I already mentioned, was throwing the ball a lot better. They were protecting him a lot better. What were they so afraid of at the end? I mean, they, they were coaching, they had coaching taken, not to lose. Yeah, they had, they had taken control of the ball for that drive. They had first and 10 from their own nine-yard line with five and a half minutes to play. They went 12 yard, or twelve plays, like 75 yards all the way down the field. You're right, Mike. Like They, they were gashing it. They were moving the ball without, without issue, and, and they did – they did that honestly for a good amount of the second half. So why'd you stop then? Yeah, why why stop then? I mean, I thought Miami was better, and I thought they were the better team in the second half. And then they just decided to sit on their thumb in the fourth quarter, which is fine. I mean, if if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But you do you, I, man. Yeah, I mean, this is. I mean, Miami's a doormat anyway. At this point, who cares, right? I mean, this team sucks. <laughs> Yeah, this team is bad, and it's going to get worse. Um, it was funny, you know, we, yeah. we recorded the preview episode, and I was talking a big game about how Derek King wasn't going to play, and, and that was a big deal. And then it was after that episode was posted that I, I realized that wasn't actually like a done deal. Like, maybe he would play, and I was like, but but he's not going to, right? And then sure, sure enough, he shows up in street clothes. And, and then we also found out right before kickoff that Jake Garcia wasn't going to play, so it was going to be the Tyler Van Dyke show one way or the other. And um, I mean, I, w- I will say, like, as much as it, it seemed like Miami kind of gashed Virginia's defense all through the second half, and they did score three touchdowns on, what, six or seven possessions in the second half. I mean, one yeah. of those was an, was an 18-yard touchdown drive after Brennan Armstrong had his requisite horrible interception of the game in the third quarter. Um, yeah. Pretty much oh, right- real quick, I don't, mean to, I don't mean to cut you off, Joey. Armstrong's been really good this year, and I think he's – you know, one of the top picks for conference player of the year, I think, for the first five games. But he is good for like one horrible interception a game. Oh, and and it's it's 
dude, you can basically set your watch by this. Like it's going to, it's going to be yes. somewhere like early to mid third quarter. Um, he's yeah. going to just <laughs> yeah. horrendously over or under throw somebody or just like completely ignore a defender somewhere. Like it, it is, it is like just like perfect clockwork that he's going to yeah. have a, terrible turnover and sure enough he had it in the third quarter here results in an 18 yard touchdown drive for Miami they had another drive that Cameron Harris breaks off a 57 yard touchdown run uh, to, to get a, a long play of a touchdown that just Virginia's defense kind of over pursued and there was a lane there and he was gone um, so you know from an efficiency standpoint it wasn't all just dink and dunk stuff work your way down the field it was you know they had a couple of things kind of made easier for him but um but I mean, just that that ending sequence was brutal, Mike. I mean, again, Horrible. first and first and ten from the fourteen with a minute and thirty six left or whatever it was, and to just sit on it and the, and trust your kicker. And I realize how good Borgalis is, but also like the the point that you're trusting a freshman kicker with the game in that situation, you you deserve whatever you get. And, exactly. Manny Diaz got what he got. I just think that if you're going to settle for three and you don't trust your offense to score there at the end, just given how you've gashed Virginia's defense in the second half, you get what you deserve, Joey. Mm-hmm. And like you said, putting it into the hands of your freshman kicker or on the leg of your freshman kicker, however, however you want to phrase it, right, is just really, really poor coaching in college football, in my opinion. Just really, really poor. And, like, I – as good as Bor Dallas has been this year, that's just poor decision making. Mm-hmm. And I, I just it's not just a Miami thing either. Like other teams across college football do this too frequently. Miami just happens to do it with their coach on the hot seat, which makes it even funnier. Yeah. You're in year three after some continuity from the previous staff and all that. I mean, there's just not really an excuse at this point. And no. I mean, this this the way this whole season is turning out is is just like Manny Diaz's nightmare for for Miami. Um, yeah. So Miami very bad. Virginia really pretty good for a lot of this game. Um, they they struggled to move the ball a little bit more than I thought they would. Um, they they ran the ball a little bit better than I thought they would. Brennan Armstrong also had only one touchdown pass, and boy, <laughs> did they make the most of it. Yes, he, he throws into like two, you know three on two coverage. It almost certainly should have been intercepted. Somehow wasn't, and instead, Dontavian Wicks ends up making arguably the catch of the year as it bounces off his leg and then his back, and then he rolls over and it just falls in, and he, he grabs it with one hand. Like if you haven't seen this catch, holy smokes! Like, yeah, unbelievable. Wicks didn't even know. I mean, Wicks like was laying with the ball in his arms in the end zone. He didn't even know he caught it. You like didn't even know if it was a catch or not. Like they made the most of it. The announcers thought it was intercepted, and then the referee runs over and throws his hands up in the air. It was like, uh, was that a touchdown? Did he catch that? It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Wicks was like, oh, okay, I guess I scored. Yeah, he was good. I thought the other guy that was arguably the player of the game, secretly sneaky, the player of the game for Virginia was Keaton Thompson. Um, yes. Keaton Thompson had seven touches for 102 yards in this game. Um, and, and, and I think the longest one was he had a 34 yard run and he had a 16 yard catch. Like he, every time he was touching it, he was ripping off yardage. And, and this, this was a really good game. I think for Virginia to show off just like the level of absurdity that their offense is running at times where they literally have like three 
guys that are listed as quarterbacks on the field at a time. Because they also right. had Jacob Rodriguez out there. He he had a carry and he had two catches. What other team in the country is like constantly throwing the ball to guys listed as quarterbacks? Like what? Yes. <laughs> yeah. What is happening? Virginia, Virginia's got to be one of the few. They're like, you know what? And, and you know what's funny too? It's not like Virginia doesn't have good skill talent outside of like the other quarterbacks are thrown out there. Yeah, isn't like a desperation yeah. thing? No, I mean Billy Kemp, good receiver. Matt Collins, good player. Like, Dontavian Wicks, one of the best receivers in the ACC statistically so far this year. He's, right? been, he's been awesome, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, it's really funny, but whatever. This offense is, is, is crazy to watch, but it, it's, it's pretty fun. They, they do a pretty good job. Um, I, I, I'm still a little skeptical of how much they'll keep it up through conference play. I mean, this, is, yeah, this pushes I them to one fraudulent. and two in the ACC. Yeah, I think they're I think they're kind of and that's not just me the Virginia Tech fan talking. I think they're pretty fraudulent because defense is just their defense is a mess. They should have lost this game, truthfully. I mean, they should have lost here. <laughs> let's call it let's call it what it is. I mean, my, Miami had the ball inside the 20 with a minute left and Virginia didn't stop them the entire second half. I mean, they should have lost this game. I and I just look at this, they go on the road to Louisville. Louisville's clicking on all cylinders, right? So that's going to be a tough game this coming Saturday. They got Duke and Georgia Tech, which, you know, Virginia is probably favored in at least one of those two games, maybe both. At BYU is a tough game. Home against ND, tough game. At Pitt, seems like it could be a tough game. Home against Virginia Tech, end of the year. Virginia almost always loses that game. So, I mean, get your wins while you can here. Try to stack them up as you can. I mean, on the road to BYU is looking like a lot tougher game than – and again, there's the whole emotional Bronco Mendenhall side of it. That's looking like it could be a lot tougher game than I think a lot of us thought, given what BYU was losing. Because now they're a top ten team, so that's kind of where that's at now. Yeah, I feel like you might go, you might go two and two, two and one over the next three, and then yeah. one. You hope to go like one and three over the final four. Um, yeah, and if you go if you go two and two over the final four, that's that's uh, that's pretty successful. That, that's going to get you to probably six or seven wins, depending on how that ends up splitting out. Which, again, in a in a rebuild type year for the defense, I, I think you'll take if you're a UVA fan. Yep, yep. So, I mean, good good win for Virginia. Rough loss for Miami here. Um, just, I don't know. It, it continues to kill me how much Miami's offense just is is almost entirely reliant on big plays, like they cannot just matriculate the ball down the field almost to save their no. lives. Like it, it is, no. like I said, I mean, Cameron Harris rips off a 57 yard touchdown run. Like it's stuff like that. that They have to have to score at all in, in most cases. So that's, I don't know. Is it, is it Derek King's injury? And, and just that's totally thrown the whole thing out of, out of whack or is it the offensive line continuing to have issues? I don't know what it is, but I don't know that Rhett Lashley, you know, fully is going to be able to fix this. Um, it, it clearly the offense is going to look different if they're running Tyler Van Dyke out there instead of Derek King. So, I mean, it's going to, it's going to turn into more of what he did at, at SMU than what he did at Auburn, like less of a quarterback yeah. run game, more of a vertical passing offense. But I just, I, I don't know if that's going to work either <laughs> with the way the rest of this team is playing around, around the quarterback position. I mean, they can't block up front. Mm-mm. For four quarters. I mean, they can do it in fits and starts, but they can't block up front for four quarters. So, like, how successful is that 
air raid vertical passing game type offense going to look. I mean, like you mentioned, I'm not sure it's really going to help anything. Yep. yep. So that's all I got here, Mike. Virginia 30, Miami 28. Let's move on. Let's talk about Georgia Tech. And before we do, Mike, this section is brought to you by Section 103. Love Section 103, Mike. Section103.com, of course, your home for all sorts of Georgia Tech apparel. They've got T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. Uh, they've got performance wear. They've got ultra soft, just like cotton shirts and sweatshirts. Unbelievably soft stuff. Mike, Georgia Tech wear, I don't know if you know this, it's kind of hard to find stuff with the uh, with the actual logos and word marks on it these days for, for whatever reason. But let me tell you, you can find it at section103.com. They've got official word marks. That ATL logo you see on the field that you see on you know hats and such that the team is wearing at times. Section 103 and Steven, they designed that logo themselves, and they've got that on shirts and everything. So go check that out. They've got shirts and sweatshirts and the official Tech Gold Really great stuff. Cannot say enough good things. I, I love my Section 103 apparel. I've got some more hopefully coming in here in the next few days. I, I'm, I'm excited for it here. Yeah, I, I love my Section 103 stuff. I'm not even a Georgia Tech fan, so that should tell you all you need to know. Absolutely, absolutely. Use promo code GOACC at checkout for 10% off your first order at section103.com. Go check it out. There's no better place that I've found on the internet to buy Georgia Tech apparel. So go check them out. Once again, section103.com. Promo code GOACC gets you 10% off your first order. Highly recommend that. And now, Mike, Section 103 presents the Georgia Tech recap as Pittsburgh 52, Georgia Tech 21. Pause. Pause. I just want to let the listeners know I'm going to let you have the floor, and then I will just chime in at the end. Okay, is that fair? I think I think I just need to I need to just step aside. Let me let me say this before you go on your soliloquy here. Let me let me just say this soliloquy. real quick. That's a, that's a lot of credit. I well, we'll see. I mean, you haven't you haven't started yet. We'll see. My uh, lock of the week at Georgia Tech. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, that's it. That's all I want to say. Joey, take it away. Yeah, that lock of the week. We're gonna hit the uh, hit the wrong buzzer on that one. Didn't go great. Oh, where to begin, Mike? Where to begin? Um, first of all, credit to Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh came out and did everything they needed to do in this game. Uh, Kenny Pickett slung it around. Uh, went twenty three of thirty six for three eighty nine and four scores. Uh, Jordan Addison was a huge problem. Six catches for one hundred and seventeen yards and a score. To Zier Mack, five catches, one hundred and twenty one yards and a score. Like Pitt played well here. They actually ran the ball okay in this game, too. Like, for a team that has had just a miserable time running it, like, they did a good job. So, credit to Pitt. Uh, they also got after Georgia Tech's offense. They had 10 tackles for loss. Pitt was the better team here, Mike. They won the game by 31 points. My problem is that Pitt is not 31 points better than Georgia Tech. Mike, what we've talked about in the past, and, and you, you did a great job, I think, as we were kind of planning this discussion out. Uh, you pointed out, as we, we talked about Georgia Tech playing... Now you're against, giving me a lot of credit, Joey. Well, we, as we talked about Georgia Tech's loss to Clemson last year, and we said that, that like they were never going to win that game, but the reason they got blown the hell out was they used the wrong game plan, right? Like They ran tempo, they were outgunned, and all this stuff, and it just it set them up to get way behind way fast. This was this was a different game plan that they used, but once again, Mike, it was the wrong game plan. Pitt is a team that is very one dimensional on offense. They cannot run the ball. They they throw it, you know, they throw it okay, but that's their only option for moving the ball. 
And then on defense, they're they're pretty good in the front seven or so, but their back end is flawed at best. So, Mike, if you were going to be trying to design a way to beat this Pittsburgh team, I'm guessing what you would try to do is try to throw the ball, you know, attack the perimeter and attack down the field as much as possible on offense. On defense, I'm guessing what you would try to do is drop as many people into coverage as you could and or maybe, you know, blitz Kenny Pickett and try to get home. Um, But try to keep everything in front of you, force them to you know work their way down the field and make mistakes. Instead, Mike, what you do as Georgia Tech is you ran the ball 30 times, uh, get basically nowhere with it, 31 carries for 73 yards. Uh, instead, you know, I, somehow then you throw the ball 33 times for 359 and two scores. I mean, it was overall it was a really good day for Jeff Sims, and yet they stopped throwing it or they, you know, that they kept going back to the run that wasn't working. Like your leading carrier was Dante Smith for, you know, nine carries for 43 yards. Like I, I didn't understand the game plan at all here. And, and that was part of the problem, Mike. And then more of the problem was this game goes on and I keep watching it and thinking, okay, whatever they're doing isn't working. They're going to change. They're going to, they're going to shift to a, you know, instead of running this three, three, five, that Pitt is, is able to run the ball on and, and giving them no issues. Maybe they're going to shift back and run a four, two, five and give a four man front, try to stop the run there. And then, you know, drop everybody else into coverage. Nope. Never did that. Never made that adjustment. Uh, continued running the ball that wasn't working. Um, did all this stuff like nothing ever changed. And we can sit here and blame you know, I, I don't know. I guess you can maybe blame the players a little bit for, for performance, but like, that's not at all where I want to go with this. It's like you, th- th- there's like this sense of hubris, Mike, with this coaching staff at times where it's like, th- there's this obsession with just being who you are and ignoring the team that you're trying to go against and that you're trying to beat. And that is like really concerning. It is, Pitt, again, there was very obvious and clear ways to attack them. And it was like Georgia Tech's coaching staff just like ignored it. And, and we're, like, this is what we do. We're going to keep doing our thing and we're going to be better than them. And it's just, you're not good enough to do that. And honestly, if you go watch like Alabama or whatever, watch them. They will change up what they do according to their opponent. They'll pick better. You know, like, you, you I don't know what you think you are. You're not Alabama. And Bama's not too proud to change up what they do to try to, you know, try to attack opponents the best way. So this was just, it was just incredibly disappointing to me from a coaching standpoint that, like, this is what you came out with. The game plan made no sense. You never made any adjustments. It just, it, it was a terrible performance. It was a terrible plan, and it set them up, and it got them, got them killed here. Now, I will say early in this game. So Georgia tech throws interceptions on the, like two of the first four plays from scrimmage. I believe one of them was returned for a touchdown. Um, both of them were on, on the first one was a tip ball. The other one was Jeff Sims. Like the, the, it was a play action, slow developing thing where the pass rush ended up kind of in his lap and tipped the ball up. And it was returned for a touchdown. Both of those, Mike, if you look at the throw that Sims was trying to make, it, it was a potential like touchdown situation on both of them. Like it, it had a receiver and one-on-one coverage. They were probably one broken tackle away from going the length of the field. So that was there. And then it was after, after the third drive where they actually scored a touchdown and got on the board that it was like, 
you, you started getting this incredibly predictable play calling. I mean, they kept running the ball on first down and, and getting stuffed and getting behind the chains. It was so obvious that at some point, Roddy Jones in the third quarter is the color commentator is calling out like, why do we keep running the ball on first down? Like maybe try throwing it. And somehow Mike, every time they threw it, it worked. And then they stopped throwing it. I just, I didn't get it. This, this was a really ridiculous game plan. It, it didn't work and they never adjusted from it. And it just incredibly disappointing to see another one of these performances from Georgia tech. At the end of the day, Jeff Collins now has been the head coach for 27 games at Georgia tech. They have not yet won back-to-back games under his watch. That is a hell of a That's long a stat. time. Yeah, that is a hell of a long time to not win back-to-back games and 27 in a row. Can I Let me let me say my piece here. So, mm-hmm. you know, the one thing that I mentioned to you before we hit record because we do a little bit of prep. Yeah, let me Joey, every every once in a while, I like I like to take the listeners behind the curtain a little bit. You know, yeah, we do a little bit of preparation inside baseball. Um, Very well, little yeah, preparation. <laughs> yes, yes. How about my Red Sox? By the way, we're in the playoffs, baby. <laughs> One game play. Um, at least for a day. <laughs> well, inside baseball here. Yeah, at least at least for a day. That's right. Um, little inside baseball. We do a little preparation, and the one thing I mentioned to you was that. When Georgia Tech got blown out, and we've mentioned this on the podcast before, when Georgia Tech got blown out by Clemson last year, the one thing that you brought up was Georgia, Georgia Tech just seemed to have this pride about them where, like, we were going to run our stuff no matter what. We were going to pretend like we had the athletes that Clemson had and that we were just as good as they were, and we were just going to fight back with our game plan and, and try to score as quickly as we could. And Joey, that didn't work. Remember? Mm-hmm. That, that didn't work. That ended up going very poorly. Clemson hung 70 on Georgia Tech, and that was all she wrote. Now, this year was a little bit different, a lot different, actually, with the game plan. The offense held on to the ball, realized they didn't have the athletes to keep up, and that the uh, the way to beat Clemson or the best path to victory against Clemson was to just sit on the football and not give Clemson's offense opportunities. Now, the funny part about that is Clemson's offense total ass now. We know that now a lot, a lot more clearly than we did a couple weekends ago. But the one thing I will say here is that Georgia Tech, when I was watching this game, what I thought of was that game against Clemson last year, where Georgia Tech goes into a game with a defined game plan in a way that they think they're going to attack an opponent offensively and defensively. And it doesn't work. Not only does it not work, it doesn't work early in the game. Instead of adjusting, Georgia Tech says, you know what, we're just going to continue doing what we're doing. Because that was the game plan we came in with. That's what we prepared with all week. And we're just going to run our stuff, and things will get better. Narrator. Things did not get better. They right? didn't. Too often with this Georgia Tech coaching staff, it feels like they go into games with a game plan. Right, wrong, or indifferent, they have a game plan. And they are going to stick with that game plan no matter what. No matter the situation, they're going to stick with that game plan. Joey, you mentioned Alabama a couple minutes ago when you were kind of doing the rundown, Nick Saban, and what did they do? Um, Joey, Alabama's offenses used to be ground and pound, first one to 14 wins. We're going to have really good defense. We're going to run the ball a ton, and we're going to have a quarterback who's a game manager who doesn't make mistakes. And then you know what Nick Saban said? That's not going to work anymore because teams are trying to hang half a hundred on you every week. Mm-hmm. And now you look in the SEC and you saw what Gus was doing at Auburn before he left. And, you know, you saw what LSU was doing with Joe Burrow a couple of years ago. You see 
you know, what Ole Miss is doing right now with Matt Corral, even though it didn't pan out that way against Alabama, ironically, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. But, but you see what these mm-hmm. offenses are trying to do. They're trying to score as quickly as possible. So what did Alabama do, Joey, when they saw that? They evolved. They adapted. Nick Saban said, you know what? I don't love this RPO stuff, but I think this is the only way we're going to consistently win games in the SEC or, or against, you know, better competition outside of the SEC when we get to the college football playoff, when we face a team like Clemson. You know, we're, we're going to have to run the RPO stuff, not do ground and pound first one to 14 like Georgia likes to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I need to set that in there for you. So, you know, Alabama evolved. Good teams, elite teams evolved. Georgia Tech's not an elite team. Hell, they're not even a good team yet, right? And I don't know if they'll ever be a good team under Jeff Collins. I, that jury's still out on that. But, Joey, the one thing I can tell you is that this offensive coaching staff, and I, because I, I've liked what they've done on defense for the, mo- for the most part. Now, Saturday was a little bit different. Inability to, to switch out of a three-man front defensively absolutely killed Pitt. You mentioned that Pitt- Pittsburgh ran the ball, you know, uh, again, about a little over four yards per carry, which for Pittsburgh is very good, <laughs> considering what they put on the field this year. Mm-hmm. But Georgia Tech didn't make, uh, didn't make good adjustments on defense, but I think overall the defense has been pretty good. So I don't want to, I don't want to just hamper the defense too much. The offense is where the, the issues have been for me over the last few years under Jeff Collins. Like year year one is basically like year zero, but the last two seasons in particular, it's like man, like you guys know what you want to do offensively, but then when you get into a game situation and the other team has schemed better, why won't you adjust? And their inability to adjust, it's almost like they're too prideful. Like you mentioned, you, you said hubris, and I think it's a great way to put it, right? They, mm-hmm. they have hubris. There's pride about them as a coaching staff where they feel like their stuff is better than the opponent's, even when, big word, Joey, proof of concept on the field shows you that that's not necessarily going to be the case on that Saturday, right? Yep. And we saw that once again against Pitt this past weekend where this was 42 to 14 at halftime. Like, yeah. at some point, you've got to look, at, look in the mirror and say, you know what? Our game plan is not working. It sucks. We need to adjust. Yeah, Our game plan sucks. We need to adjust. The other team prepared better or the other team prepared adequately for what we were going to run. We need to change things up. And their inability to do that consistently provides great variability week to week. Georgia Tech is a very high variability team, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of ACC teams are. But this Georgia Tech team in particular, one week they look like they could be the best team in the Coastal. The next week they look like they're the worst team in the Coastal. And it's every single week with this team right yeah. now. And it's I don't know if it's part of the rebuild or just part of the Jeff Collins experience, but we're going to find out sooner rather than later. I mean, it's it's crazy because, and I'm looking back now, going back to Collins basically taking over at Georgia Tech, they've only played like, again, of those 27, 28 games, whatever that they've played, I think only seven of them have been one-score games either way, like seven or eight of them maybe. Like especially starting starting at the beginning of last year, they they beat Florida State by three. That was the only one score game they played all year. They won this two. Team other- doesn't lose small, Joey. No this team doesn't lose small. No, they don't. They don't. They beat Louisville by nineteen. They beat Duke by twenty three. Every other game they lost by double digits. And then you go into this year, and I mean they 
they lose by one to Northern Illinois. They blow out Kennesaw State. They lose by six to Clemson. They blow out North Carolina. They get blown out by Pittsburgh. It's it's like you're saying. It's like, I mean, maybe if you're trying to bet this team, the thing to do is just live bet them because you'll never know until you get about through the first quarter or so what it's going to be. But by the end of the first quarter, you know where this is going to go. And so that's the thing to consider. I don't know. Um, I, the other thing that was really irritating here was that Georgia Tech's uh, offense had 13 possessions in this game. Four times they went three and out. There were two turnovers, and then there were three turnovers on downs. And, Mike, by the way, those three turnovers on downs, all of them featured a fourth and two or shorter. And in every single one of those cases, they handed the ball off up the middle. And it didn't work the first time, and it didn't work the second time. And if it's turnover and down, you know it didn't work the third time. It just... Love that. Try something else, man. Like, and, and I told you before we got on here, to me, there is there is one stat line, there's one player's stat line on here that just tells the entire story for me. Who is the most dangerous, dynamic player on Georgia Tech's roster, Mike? Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs finishes this game with 10 carries for negative 10 yards. And also six catches for 125 yards. Oh, yeah. like That's what, what I'm talking about. How is it you handed the ball to that guy 10 times and he lost yardage cumulatively? Like, I mean, again, you threw the ball well to Malachi Carter, Malik Rutherford, Nate, Nate McCollum, Adonica Sanders. All of them had good, good games in the passing game. Why didn't you do that more? I don't know. I don't understand. And it, it just the game plan was terrible. And, and it was really running the ball was more fun. Running the ball is more fun. And it's something Georgia Tech's been used to under Paul Johnson. So we that's can, why Jeff Collins wanted to continue we it this can Saturday. Just run the ball against whoever we want. Yeah, yeah. Well, how'd that go? Yeah. Jameer Gibbs is our volume shooter of the week, by the way. <laughs> and I I mentioned that now because Joey and I were uh, racking our brain a bit when we were uh, preparing for the show, but I found him. I found him. I think Jameer Gibbs qualifies 10 carries for negative 10 yards. I, I think he qualifies. We'll get into that later. Just got to put that out into the universe now. I, I will say, I, I really don't think it was any fault of his own. No. I mean, Georgia Tech's offensive line was beat up. And, and I mean, he was hand, they were handing him the ball, and he was getting swallowed up in the backfield, like, immediately. So, you know, no no criticism to him on that, but yeah, like you kept going to that well and getting nowhere, and then you kept going to it, and just right ridiculous. Mike, the, the one other thing about this game that I did want to mention that I think is interesting to kind of monitor, and I, I really don't know what to make of it at all. Going into last year, Georgia Tech swapped their playing surface. Um, they they went from a natural grass surface to this turf surface, and and a lot of that was marketed to people as like, well, it, it, it's cheaper to maintain and we can have concerts on it and like do all this stuff. Right. And that was great. But certainly last year and, and especially again this year, like there are players slipping constantly on this playing surface. I mean, anytime you see guys trying to make a cut in, you know, r- running routes, trying to cover and pass coverage, um, trying to make tackles in the open field. Like there are guys falling down constantly and it's not just Georgia tech. Pittsburgh had a bunch of players falling down left and right in this game. And, and it's just been a thing that I feel like I'm seeing on this particular field more than I see it almost anywhere else. I, I, I don't know what to make of it, but it's just a, it's a strange occurrence. I don't know if it's a quality of field thing. I don't know if 
everyone needs to be using different cleats when they play on this surface or what it is, but just something to notice is that that, that happens a lot on this field lately, and I don't know what to make of it, but um, something to kind of keep in mind as you, as you watch games being played at Bobby Dodd Stadium here over the next couple of months. Huh. Okay. And if and if you Random think it's like, baby. you know if you think it's like a home field advantage thing, it, it helps Georgia Tech. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. Tech's players are constantly falling down trying to cover and passing, and uh, you know trying to make tackles and stuff. Like it's 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 an equal opportunity offender in terms of a uh, you know home and away team getting them to fall down. So I don't know. Maybe they'll figure something out, but probably not. Who's to say? Yeah. Pittsburgh fifty-two, Georgia Tech twenty-one. Let's move on, Mike. Florida State's in the win column. Oh, baby. Florida State 33, Syracuse 30. Uh, this game was a trip in a couple of different ways. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll say. Uh, Syracuse punts the ball. This, this game was tied at 30. Syracuse has the ball, punts with about a minute left. Jordan Travis has a couple of different plays that, that go for a combined 50 yards on scrambles. Um, one of them almost certainly should have been a holding call, but they got away with it, but that's fine. Um, but the Knolls hit a game-winning field goal as time expired. They were the one team in Florida that was able to do that this weekend. Um, oh, there it is. Um, I, noteworthy here to me that this was all Jordan Travis. There was no Mackenzie Milton. There was no Chubba Purdy. So I I don't know if Florida State's just going to keep doing this QB of the week thing, or are you trying to find the hot hand? Or I, I don't know what this strategy is, but I, I mean, I guess it finally worked this weekend. Yeah. I mean, what's funny about this to me, Joey, is that I didn't think the offense was very good in this game by either team, yet we we got to 63 total points. And maybe, I mean, the the stats don't really back me up there. Like, Syracuse ran for 239 yards. Syracuse, this is a little weird. Syracuse had two players record a rush in this game. One was Garrett Schrader, the starting quarterback, who had 16 carries for 137 yards and three touchdowns. He had that 55-yard touchdown run. Mm-hmm. And then Sean Tucker, who had 24 carries for 102 yards. That was it. Two players recorded a rush. I'm not sure I've seen that in the six we've been doing this podcast. I'm not sure I've ever seen that. Well, in a game where they they racked up 240 yards on the ground and – scored 30 points and almost won. Yeah, that's that's extremely unusual. Yeah. Um so clearly Syracuse just trying to ride Sean Tucker basically until the wheels fall off, which for better or worse, we'll see how long that takes. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, is again, a better offensive strategy than they've had in recent years. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll go with that Garrett Trader completed a couple of downfield passes, which is an improvement over last week. That that is a positive development. Yes. Yeah. Now I'm not going to pretend like Johnny Unitas is you know suiting up for Syracuse. I mean we'll never we'll never mistake him for for Johnny U. Uh, is Johnny Unitas still alive? Keep going. I'll, I'm gonna no, look it he's, up. No, he's he's dead as hell. Now he's he's big dead. He died. That in man is 2002. Dead. Yeah. That so, guy's been. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, that guy's been dead since the last time Florida State was relevant. Uh, <laughs> there it is. It's not Hold entirely on. true. Yeah, well, they won a championship in 2013 or whatever it was, so <laughs> not, not totally relevant. Yeah, well, he's certainly been dead since Miami's been relevant. Oh. That made more sense. Actually, uh, Jordan Travis. Yeah, actually, though. Uh, Jordan Travis 
uh, yeah, like you mentioned, he got all the snaps, and Mackenzie Milton was praising him on Twitter, which was a little weird. And then <laughs> Jordan Travis had 19 carries for 113 yards. In addition to the 131 he put up through the air, Jay Sean Corbin was relatively in check. He had 14 carries for 65 yards and a touchdown. I don't know. I mean, good for Florida State. I mean, they beat they beat Syracuse by a field goal. I mean, what what am I supposed to say here? I, yeah, I don't know. Like Florida State wins the game. I I don't necessarily feel a whole lot better about them coming out of this. Like it's good to get on the win on the you know in the win column. Uh, you got in the board in conference play. Like that's all good, but I mean, there are still some heavy, heavy flaws in this team. Um, I mean, Jordan Travis, a lot of the moving the ball and such was like, you know, schoolyard nonsense, like draw it up in the dirt, scrambling yep. through stuff. Like this, this team trying to run a structured offense. There's sometimes that it works really well. Most of the time it does not. And I, there's there's reasons for that, and, and we've talked about them pretty extensively on this show. But I, I mean, I don't know. We're we're five games into the season, Mike, and I'm not sure that I'm seeing Florida State getting a whole lot of any better than they have been all season. And if that's the case, it's not going to get a whole lot better the rest of the year. They're going to beat UMass here in a couple of weeks, I think. I hope, but I mean, that might be it in terms of wins for the Knolls. Yeah, probably. I mean, hey. Look, Mike Norvell, if you go out on the recruiting trail, you can say, hey, we only win a couple of games a year, but at least we beat Syracuse. There you go. Not shut out in conference play. We're five stars into Tallahassee. Right, right. Syracuse, for their piece, I mean, again, they, they played this game well, and, and they look like a team that has more fight in them than in, in recent years. So definitely, yes, you know, credit agree. to Dino and that staff. Like, they're, they're playing better than they had. I, I feel like they might jump up and, and – steal one from somebody later on down the road this season. But I mean, they won't be favored again this season. And right. So, I mean, they're not even going to sniff a bowl game. This is going to be like a four and eight kind of see. They're going to lose a lot of games. And, and yeah, I don't mean I'm, to, you know, dump on yeah. them here or, or anything, but just, I mean, they're, 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 they're three and two and they might finish four and eight. Like, yeah. I mean, look at, look at the schedule. I mean, Wake Forest, best team in the ACC. Clemson. I mean, Clemson's a mess, but they're still, they still should beat Syracuse. At Virginia Tech, that's actually probably a winnable game for Syracuse. Mm. At home against Boston, jo- Joey's sitting there laughing. Uh, at home against Boston College, I didn't, I, I didn't really mean that in Blacksburg. I, I don't think that's very winnable. Oh, I thought you were Boston dead serious Co- on that. Home against Boston College. Uh, Maybe? It depends on what version of Dennis the Menace we get. We'll talk about him in a second. At Louisville at NC State home against Pittsburgh. I mean, I agree with you. I think Syracuse could jump up and beat somebody here in the final seven games. Could very well be either Virginia Tech or Boston College, and that would not that would not outright shock me. Uh, I don't think they're beating Clemson, no matter how many offensive problems Clemson has. Uh, Louisville's got too much off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Louisville's got too much offense. NC State, too much offense. Pittsburgh way too much offense. I just don't see it. So, and then wake, wake Forest too much offense. So it's going to have to come from Virginia tech or Boston college, I think, because, uh, yeah, I just, I don't see it against Clemson. Maybe, you know, some people will squint and say, Oh, well, I mean, Clemson could lose there, but I'm not going to be that guy to say that. Anything's possible. 
anything's possible. Clemson's coming off a tie for what it's worth going into that one. So I, that doesn't help things for the for the Orange. Um, the the last note I had on this game was for these two teams, and it's just it's kind of a, a summation of everything we've talked about here. There were a lot of really poor offensive possessions for a game that finished thirty three to thirty. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Mean, a, a lot of these three and outs are like you know five play. 13 yard punt drives or whatever. I mean, a lot of those, um, just kind of a rough watch. We'll say that. Um, I also had a note that both teams missed an extra point in this game. Florida state also muffed a punt. Like special teams was rough. There, there was just, (laughs) there's a lot that these teams could work on. Let's say that. Um, so (laughs) coaches get on that. Go make your team better, please. Yeah, there's there's no shortage of uh, situations to point at on film to say, yeah, we can't practice that. Now you, you don't have any of those issues. Exactly. There's certainly uh, teaching moments, teachable moments, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, Florida State 33, yeah. Syracuse 30. Knowles on the board in conference play, and uh, that might be the only one they get. Who's to say? Uh, number 25, Clemson 19, Boston College 13. Mike, all, all I had to say. Clemson damn near lost a game to a man named Dennis. And I was, I was so excited. I was all up in arms cheering for my man, Dennis Grissel. They almost had Clemson and it was going to be like the most glorious thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, man. I just, this is what not to take any, they're not good. This is just, this is just what they are. Now, I will say that one positive development for Clemson is that Kobe Pace does look a little bit different in the backfield. You know, he's just running a little bit differently than, than what we've seen over the, the first handful of weeks. And I think Will Shipley is going to be very good. But with him out of the lineup for a while, you know, I think Kobe Pace provides them with something a little bit different. He was running hard, and I think he's one of the few bright spots on Clemson's offense coming out of this game. Uh, DJU also had a couple nice runs, you know, talking run situations, picked up, you know, a few pretty big first downs mm-hmm. with his legs. Uh, but throwing the ball, I mean, 13 to 28 for 207 yards. Now, I will say that, you know, there are some drops there. There are some situations where DJ's running for his life and just throwing the ball away. There's also some missed throws, though, and his mechanics need some work. And I'm no quarterback guru, but when I see him, you know, shuffling his feet and then missing throws into the flat or missing, you know, short slants because he's got happy feet in the pocket. That's someone with an untrained eye that's making those observations. I'm, I'm sure that's something that Tony Elliott is aware of as the offensive coordinator. I, I was going to say, as, as somebody who has thrown a football like three or four times in my life, it's an exaggeration. I've, I've actually thrown balls a lot, but the point is, could I throw the ball with footwork like that? Hell no. Like, right. It's, it, it's bizarre. And and I made the point on Twitter too. There are some throws that DJ actually like steps into and, and looks good. And, and the, the ball comes out and it is a, a distinct, like sharp pass that comes out and it looks good. And right. it's, I mean, it's great. The problem is that's only like 25% of them. Most of them it, it's, yeah, it's it's this happy feet thing. He's overthrowing guys. He's underthrowing guys. It's off target. It's, I mean, it's everywhere other than what it's supposed to be. He finishes this game under fifty percent completion, um, thirteen of twenty eight. Like that's really really pretty bad. 
Um, he's been bad, but it's also like there's this whack-a-mole thing where there's some plays where DJ you know actually sets up and makes a good looking throw, and then receivers right. are dropping the ball. And then there's right. other times where DJ is like setting up, ready to ready to make a good throw, and then gets hit because nobody's protecting him. And I mean, it's just this constant rotation of things going wrong on offense on offense for Clemson, and it's it's kind of nuts. And, and Mike, I, I I look at this box score, and it's it's just at the most simple level. If I told you coming into this game that Clemson was going to rack up 438 yards of offense and be plus three in turnovers, how much would you have guessed they won the game by? I would have thought they covered. Yeah, they won this game by like 24 points, right? And they didn't because they couldn't finish drives. Mike Clemson kicked a field goal from the two-yard line. <laughs> like, and, and on some level, maybe thank God they did because otherwise that would have been a turnover on downs. <laughs> like, they, weren't, they weren't punching that in. <laughs> but just, I, I mean, what are we doing that we're at this point? Like Clemson still, I don't know if Clemson scored 20 points in a game in regulation against an FBS team this year. Yeah. No, I mean, this is, they're, they're in trouble on offense. They and I know terrible. that I'm not, I'm not breaking the new ground here. I mean, I know, I know that their offense is terrible, but this passing offense is worse than it was with Kelly Bryant. Yeah, it is it, like definitively worse. Like w- without question, it's worse. It and it's not even really that big of a comparison. The reason why everybody gave Kelly Bryant hell in that gap year between Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson is because Kelly Bryant didn't look like Deshaun Watson. I'll tell you what, Joey, for everything we've said about DJU, for how good he looked going on the road to South Bend last year, for everything he did in that BC game the week before that last year, right, and all the skill talent around him, we thought he was going to come into this year we knew what kind of quarterback recruit he was. We knew that he had all the accolades. and He's just kind of the next really good Clemson quarterback. He comes into this year. DJU is no Kelly Bryant throwing the football. No, he's not. I, I just And I, I say that only half joking. Yeah. Like, seriously, no Kelly Bryant throwing the football. If you don't believe me, look at the stats. Like, if, if this you, is not if, a good passing if, offense right now. If you swapped in 2017 Kelly Bryant – in place of 2021 DJU Clemson's probably at least four and one at this point. I don't know that they would have beaten Georgia either way. Right. But I bet they would have beaten NC state with the way that the Wolfpack played that day. Like, well, talk about a result that's becoming more and more remarkable. The fact that Clemson only lost that game 10 to three with how good Georgia looked against Arkansas and how inept Clemson's looked offensively. I can't believe Clemson only lost that game by a touchdown. Well, I, I also have, that you'll be shocked to find out. I have strong opinions on whether Georgia is actually a really good, complete team or not. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm real shocked. I yes, don't I'm believe shocked. that they are. Um, yeah. I, I do, but you know, we'll, we'll disagree. Yeah. I'll we'll agree disagree. to disagree. Um, by the way, before we like move on from this game, like we, we joke about our man named Dennis and, and, and like, but goodness, Mike, like this man played his ass off and, and he tried kept Boston college in the game. Like he didn't account for a touchdown and he, he turned the ball over twice on interceptions. But I mean, one of those was really late. And, and I mean, this guy played his ass off and, and kept Boston college in the game, all the credit in the world, you know, for a guy stepping in for Phil Dracovic being injured and all that, like there, there are much worse scenarios that could have been at play for Boston college than what he's been able to do the last couple of weeks. So 
all the credit to him and, and credit to Jeff Halfley and that coaching staff for putting him in places to succeed and, and lead that offense uh, in ways that he's been able to. Right. So, right. So credit to Boston College there. Um, Boston College officially is lost now. They are four and one. Uh, they are zero and one in conference. Clemson three and two, two and one in conference. We'll see. Clemson might hang around and mess around and uh, win the Atlantic, but uh, I mean they're they're not in the driver's seat by any stretch of the imagination at this point with the way that Wake Forest and NC State have been playing. So uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. Anything else in this game, Mike? Good thing Clemson has a bye week. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And if they come out of the bye week looking all the same, then it's it's just never going to change. Like, we're, we're looking at 2022. Yeah, nah, I agree. So, we Great. shall see. Clemson 19, Boston College 13. Let's move on, Mike. North Carolina 38, Duke 7. This was kind of the runaway that I expected. I don't know that it was, like, the how that I expected necessarily. Uh, North Carolina benefited from a scoop six, but they were up 24 to nothing at halftime. I have a note down that Duke punted twice from within North Carolina territory in the first half. That didn't age all that well. Um, Sam Howell got sacked five times. Gunnar Holmberg got sacked five times in this game. So a little bit of a mess, but North Carolina nonetheless comes away and, and wins big here. I, the, the only other note I have here, Mike, before I get to, we get to your thoughts, it's, it's really clear at this point. We're five games in. Sam Howell has eyes for Josh Downs and nobody else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a reason why Josh Downs is the leading receiver by quite a bit um, from a catching standpoint and from a yardage standpoint. Also from a touchdown standpoint. Yeah, I mean, Downs had eight catches. No other receiver had more than three. In fact, Kamari Morales was the only one with three receptions. And everybody else had two or less. So Downs, it's basically bust. Downs is up to 40 receptions on the year. The next highest on the team has 15. Like, yeah, I mean, Downs is probably going to catch like 75, 80 balls this year if he stays healthy. And nobody else is going to catch 40. <laughs> like, the ball is going I, to him nobody, and nobody else. There, the, yeah, I mean, there, there might not be anybody else who catches 30 when you look at the. When you look at the distribution, seriously. Uh, so, yeah, something, uh, something to monitor. I mean, if Josh Downs gets hurt, that this thing's a wrap for Carolina. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know who Sam Howell's going to throw to. Uh, was pretty good. Like you mentioned, he was sacked five times because Carolina's offensive line still is not very good, and Howell still tends to hold on to the ball a little bit too long. Just because you're experienced doesn't mean you're good. I'd like to break this stupid college football narrative where we look at in the preseason, we say, oh, well, you know, they return all five starters in the offensive line and equate that with, oh, they must be good then without taking the prior year's productivity into account. Like, can we stop doing that as a society? It drives me insane. I mean, it's a trend, but there's also exceptions to the trend, to be sure. Like... And, yes. and this is definitely one of those is like an offensive line that's played together for a couple of years should be really good or should improve over time. North Carolina's offensive line, not exactly comparable to a fine wine that way, Mike. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I would say so. It's more like a flat beer. They're kind of spoiling a little bit, honestly. Yeah, they are. They're they are spoiling. Uh, but, you know, despite that, Carolina wins 38 to seven. I don't have really a ton to add here other than. Like you mentioned, this game didn't turn into a blowout the way that I necessarily thought it would. 
Like I thought Duke would be able to score some more points and just kind of sit on the ball a little bit. And they kind of did to their credit like early in the game. And then the second quarter, things got away from a little bit. And then Carolina just basically, you know, put the thing in cruise control in the second half. So there's not really a ton to a ton to break down here. The better team won. Uh, I was going to throw out here, Mateo Durant and J- Jalen Calhoun both had really good games for Duke. Yes. Durant goes 19 carries for 114 yards. Jalen Calhoun, six catches for 103 yards and a score. That was really good. Carolina also had a really rough day trying to run the ball. 39 carries for 135 yards, about three and a half yards per carry. That ain't going to do it. That's not good. No. No, not good. So, things to be worked on on both sides, to be sure. But um, but either way, I think the result was kind of what I was expecting when I locked up North Carolina minus the 20. They they yeah. certainly just ran away and hid with this game uh, and, and didn't ever really struggle here, so. North Carolina 38, Duke 7. Uh, I was on Duke there. I was on Duke there, and I don't really, I still don't really feel that bad about it. Like, with the way the game kind of played out, it's like, yeah, well, they could backdoor this here, and then they just didn't. Yeah. They never did. (laughs) Yeah. Duke, uh, we're going to have to keep an eye on Duke because, I don't know, I feel like the record and some of the performances so far might lead you to think they might be a little better than they actually are. I think Hmm. it's. I hate to say this, but I think there's going to be a really telling game next Saturday when they play Georgia Tech. For honestly, who? That's yeah, the question. Both of them, honestly. You, you learn yeah. a lot about both yeah. of them. Um, yeah. For better or worse. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll see. Carolina 38, Duke 7. Uh, last one, Mike. The number 23 NC State Wolfpack 34, the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs 27. This game uh, was basically exactly what we thought. This was a bit of a letdown spot, a, a bit. This was a complete and total letdown spot for the Wolfpack. Um, they really struggled to ever put this game away. And to the point that Louisiana Tech had the ball on the 30-yard line of NC State with 48 seconds left with a chance to go down and tie or win the game. Um, yep. NC State's defense comes up with a couple of pretty big stops there at the end to uh, to prevent that from happening. But... Overall, I mean, NC State escapes with the win. It's okay. That's fine. This is a you know kind of a, a dangerous Louisiana Tech team that's put a scare into Mississippi State and a couple others already. Like this is a game that we knew they were capable of jumping up and, and causing you some issues with. But at the end of the day, NC State gets the win. That's all they needed to do. Coming off that Clemson win last week, survive in advance. Good on you, NC State. Yeah, I mean. I don't want to call this a total clunker because I, I don't think it necessarily was. I mean, NC State's offense certainly played great in the first half. I thought they were better in the second half. Um, and Louisiana Tech, like you mentioned, they're a decent team. Like, yeah, they're two and three. But if you look at you know how things have gone down, and we mentioned this on the preview, like they're capable of scoring some points. I mean, Austin Kendall can sling it around a little bit. NC State found that out pretty quickly. <laughs> On Saturday, I mean, Kendall threw for 341 yards and three touchdowns in this game. But see, Kendall likes to take some chances, as a lot of people found out. If this was your first time, if, if this was your first Louisiana Tech experience, I mean, you got the full gamut. You got the big time plays. You got the really awful interceptions. You got the kind of lack of interest in running the football. I mean, you had a little bit of everything from Louisiana offense. Never a dull moment from the Bulldogs. No, never a dull moment. 
And I say the total lack of interest running the football because Austin Kendall was really the only one who ran it with any success. He was averaging almost five yards per carry. He had 15 carries for 71 yards in addition to his 341 yards passing. And that includes um, the three Marcus times he was sacked, by the way. Yes, and Marcus Williams Jr. is their uh, leading rusher. He had 16 carries for 59 yards, so he was held pretty much in check. So, I mean, NC State got the stops they needed in the end. You know, they ran the ball decently in this football game. Uh, Bam Knight and Ricky Person ran it well. They both they had two touchdowns on the ground, uh, 85 yards for Bam Knight, 90 for Ricky Person. They, uh, Person averaged six yards per carry, Bam Knight six and a half. Devin Leary, little bit up and down, little bit inconsistent. Uh, I liken it to how Sam Hartman performs in the Wake Forest game. It was very similar. He missed some throws he usually makes. Uh, but, you know, NC State coming off a really emotional win last Saturday at home and and to come right back and face a feisty offense in Louisiana Tech and come away with a win is all you can ask for. If I'm an NC State fan, I wouldn't take too much away from this. Like, don't don't be too discouraged because you only beat Louisiana Tech by a touchdown as a 19-point favorite. I didn't understand that spread at all. That was easy money for me. Yep. NC State goes three and out on four of their first six possessions of this game, which, again, you want to talk about like kind of a hangover struggling to really get sharp again this week? There it was. And then the other big note that I had here, NC State didn't assert dominance, but they did do enough to not get embarrassed. And, Mike, the point there right. is that's more than a lot of ACC teams have been able to say in spots like this so far this year. So <laughs> all the credit yes, to the Wolfpack. You got it done. That's all that matters. That's correct. I I don't take anything away from this game that makes me think NC State is in, like, huge trouble the rest of the way or something. No. I don't look at this and say, yeah, NC State, they only beat them by – they only beat Louisiana Tech by seven. They might not be as good as I think they are. I, I, didn't, I don't come away from this game thinking that. No. And again, when you have, when you had, you know, if you were, if you were going back to back and you're NC state and you're opening up again, I mean, who they have in the, um, who NC state have in the opener, South Florida. Mm-hmm. Like if you're barely beating Louisiana tech the week after you blow out South Florida, maybe this is a little bit different, but the week after Clemson, I mean, come on, I'm not going to hold that too much against you. Yep. Yep. So get it figured out moving forward. You'll be fine. No harm, no foul. We're good. We're good. NC yeah. State 34, Louisiana Tech 27. Mike, I have one more game on the rundown here. Yes. Kent State 27, the Bowling Green Falcons 20. Bowling Green loses, but the Falcons covered again, Mike. Unlock of the week, Joey. Mike, don't look now, but your Bowling Green Falcons are currently 4 and 0 against the spread this season. <laughs> Yeah, they are. Just hear that Falcon screech. Come on, Bowling yeah. Green. Get that get that Brian Van Gorder stench off of your, your defense there and, and keep playing playing good ball. That's why I locked it up. By the way, also, next weekend, and we're going to have to talk about this in the preview, Bowling Green is favored next weekend against Akron by 13 points, Mike. They're a two-touchdown favorite next weekend, so you got to start thinking about whether you want to lay the 13 with an undefeated-against-the-spread team named Bowling Green. Yeah, I'll tell you what, probably not. But we'll get to that Spoiler on the preview. Word. Yeah. Anyways, shout-out Bowling Green. Kent State 27, Bowling Green 20. Mike, you want to give out some awards? Let's give out some awards. Let's do it. Cue the, uh, cue the music here. 
The Go ACC moment of the week, Mike, came early in the week on Thursday night in the Miami-Virginia game. Uh, I believe it was the first half. Virginia punts to Miami. And, Mike, what do you do when you're a punt returner and you're kind of backed up in your own territory a little bit? What's the rule here? Generally, you put your heels down on the 10. If it goes over your head, you generally just don't field it. You can let it either go into the end zone or you reap what you sow and they down it. That way you don't make any catastrophic mistakes that will set up a team with a goal to go situation. That's right. So you put your heels in the 10. You don't go backwards. Well, Tyreek Stevenson goes backwards. Catches a punt on the 7-yard line, except by catches a punt, I mean it hits hits him in the face, basically. Bounces off his Boink. helmet. Yeah. So, go ACC to that. Miami actually recovered the fumble, thankfully, but just what a moment there to back up, try to catch a punt basically on, like, your own 5-yard line and just have it hit off your face. Loved it. Just walk. Go ACC to that. Mike, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial, you tried award. North Carolina continues trying to protect Sam Howell. We mentioned he has, he was sacked five times in this game against Duke, and, Mike, he's up to 22 sacks on the season. Uh, that That is good for 126th nationally out of 130 teams. Although, you know, misery loves company. They are tied with Notre Dame down there. Oh, well, another FBS school, at least. Love it. There you go. So, North yeah, a little more than four per game. <laughs> yeah, that ain't good. Uh, North yeah. Carolina, you tried to protect Sam Hell, and uh, it's going okay. Honorable mention, Manny Diaz. You're trying to keep your job. Not really. That's not going very well. Poorly. It is going poorly. Uh, Mike, the Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week Award. Kobe. Kobe. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, Georgia Tech running back Jameer Gibbs. Ten carries for negative ten yards in the run game. Yep. Not all his fault, but, I mean... I mean, it, it wasn't working, and he kept trying it, and just goodness. Credit here also goes. Yeah. <laughs> Credit here also goes to Miami running back Jalen Knighton. Uh, Fifteen carries for forty-four yards in the game. That was at least working a little bit, but yes. not really almost at all in any given situation. So, uh, you know, Kobe to these guys. Right. Yeah. Kobe. 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 Mike, that does it for awards. Uh, ACC Player of the Week, since we're actually going to give out like actual awards here. Anyone stick out to you? Garrett Schrader in a losing effort. Hey. 150 yards passing, 137 yards rushing, four total touchdowns. Credit to that guy. Garrett Schrader played his ass off, uh, as did Dennis Grissel in a losing effort. I, I mean, oh yeah, again, played his ass off. Um, yeah, nobody really, other than that, sticking out to me. So sure, we'll give it to Garrett Schrader. Kept his team in the game against Florida State when they were a little bit, a little bit outgunned, at least, you know, size and speed wise. We'll say so. Good on them. Team of the week. Yep. Uh, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh. Uh both. Florida State gets a team win. <laughs> Congrats on beating Syracuse, Florida State. Congratulations. Good on all those teams. Just to, I'm just going to go, you know what? Good week in the ACC. Good week of ACC football, Mike. I love it. Capital G, good. Um, I just, man, the Florida schools are bad. Oh, my God. They really are. In, in a way that I, I, I'm not sure is, like, precedented in the ACC. Like, 
I don't know if we've ever had a year where Florida State and Miami were this bad since either of them joined the ACC. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been a minute. Anyway, I mean, this is I yeah, I mean, it's going to get worse before it gets better, I think for both of these teams, unfortunately. Uh I mean, Miami at least they got a bye week, but they got a big week ahead. Uh mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm looking at their three-game stretch coming up at UNC, home against NC State at Pittsburgh. Man, get get right in the bye week because, good God, they're going to need it. They are. <laughs> we'll see how much longer uh, Manny Diaz keeps his job. I have a I have a weird feeling that we're going to post this episode, and then before we get a chance to record the preview, we're going to be talking about a new coach at Miami. That but would we'll be see. great. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to lose his job. It would just be that would just be very typical of a podcast medium for that to happen. Yeah, and well, and the other thing I'll say is that in a way, I'll say it's almost a worse sign for Miami if he doesn't lose his job. Not because I, I, I have some personal vendetta against Manny Diaz or anything like that, but more just it, there is some some there's a school of thought out there that basically says. If, if he doesn't lose his job, if they can't finance that, it says that the administration is not bought in on football success, which is a huge issue, if that's the case. And we are way too late in this podcast to like deep dive that whole issue at this point. <laughs> but just something to think about is that if, if Manny Diaz is somehow still the coach this time next year and they haven't won like every one of their remaining games, it tells you something that is not a good thing to know about Miami and where their athletic program or athletic department and, and football program stand within the uh, overall university. So, you know, if you're a Miami fan, I think you should be probably hoping that either they win out or Manny Diaz loses his job at some point. And if you're not hoping for one of those things, I would like to talk to you because I, I can't imagine who that is in the Miami fan base <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll ask Cam. Cam will know. I mean, we'll we'll be able to find them if they if they do exist. Cam, I mean, Cam's ready to move on from Manny Diaz. Yes. That's to be sure. He's been ready, been ready for sure. Yep, yep. Mike, that's all I got on week five. Anything else? I think we're good, man. Let's get out of here. We're gonna come back and preview week six. We've got a, a it's kind of a short slate next week. Uh, about five games on the ACC schedule, so a little short. But there is there's a couple of heavy hitters on there that we're gonna really have to hit on. Uh, yes. Mike, your Hokies are back in action in arguably their biggest game of the year. So Yeah, it's a big one. They're going to be playing Notre Dame in Blacksburg, so that'll be fun to, to preview and talk about. Uh, a couple other interesting matchups as well, so join us again then. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at FGRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SOS. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. You can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, anywhere you normally would find any other podcast. Go find us there. Please hit the subscribe button, rate us, review us, all those things that YouTubers tell you to do. Uh, please do that for us too, but not on YouTube. Yes. Yeah. Not not on YouTube. <laughs> Mike, where else can they find us please. on social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of your podcasts there. Check us out on Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. Please do. Please do. Thanks to those who have. Uh, do it for the gram. Please do it for the gram. Mike, you want to get out of here and go uh, preview some more games? Yeah, let's do that. On to week six. On to week six. 
excited. It's been a good season so far. I look forward to continuing it. So we will see where it goes from here. Uh, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. We will talk to you guys again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.